Most larger uh, modern corporate facilities have their own localized power facilities. And what this means is basically power itself um, tends to be gridded. So if a company like SRP or APS in Arizona or whatever it is in other states and everything, um, what they have is a, they have redundancy between the organizations, and typically there's two or more organizations that actually work together. Um, so if one's overloaded, they, they'll borrow power from the other, and they work on a, not necessarily a financial basis, but more or less saying, hey, if you, you know, they keep credits. And um, similarly, a lot of companies will do the same thing. So companies uh, like Intel, um, Intel had power requirements and everything that was made by the city of Chandler, um, in addition to APS and SRP for the local facilities that they had. They had a fabrication plant over in Chandler, Arizona. And uh, a this facility is a $2 billion facility and everything, and the uh, main campus, it was about 5,000 people that that was working there off of uh, Chandler and, oh, fuck, I think it was Price or something like that. <clears throat> and um, both of these facilities had massive, massive, massive uh, power, you could call them facilities for the most part, but... Um, what they are is just a, a giant bank of capacitors, huge capacitors that act to store energy um, that uh, is leaked off the grid and, uh, and keep the capacitors charged at all times. So if there's a power surge or a power, um, power loss for the grid, whether or not that's SRP or APS, um, or whatever local facility there is. So this is true no matter which uh, which location Intel's in. Um, and other companies do the same thing, particular companies that are the same size as Intel. At that point, um, Intel itself as a, uh, as, a, as a fabrication plant won't lose any time. And the reason for doing this is pretty simple. Um, it just makes economic sense. I mean, if you have a fabrication plant that's spitting out a, a million dollars in parts and product per hour, I mean, I'm not shitting you, per, per hour, um, and they have basically two hours of downtime due to a power outage, well, that's, I mean, $2 million worth of product right there, you know, simply because uh, an out-of-control variable, you know, could have caused that power loss and everything. And um, this is pretty common with, uh, you know, with with companies like this, so whether or not it's a fabrication plant or foreign exchange or um, any kind of financial operations whatsoever, uh, typically there's both redundancies and, and redundancies for redundancies, not just for power, but for uh, communications as well. So what that means is um, most of these places, particularly, uh, starts off with medium-sized facilities and goes up to large and even more than that. Um, should they lose power, well, uh, they can go up to 24 hours before the generators kick in. And at that time, they have to start turning equipment off and everything in order to basically compensate and deal with the powder power outage and everything. Now, this is really interesting, you know, so think about it. You know, you've got literally 24 hours that that facility can go completely uninterrupted. You know, workers come in not thinking anything about it. All because, you know, they have the capacitors that actually store a short-term charge on it. Well, 
a lot of times they end up storing too much energy. So what happens is this energy is uh, is actually pushed back onto the grid. And in some cases, um, companies like uh, you know Intel they regularly test their generators, and uh, in a lot of cases they've gone green. And um, you know in a lot of the facilities and everything they have you know some. Um, anything from solar energy that they can leverage or um, some of them leverage thermal energy in some cases and you know others experimental energy that's generated in other ways and uh, they actually push this onto the grid now I had a friend that was working for uh, for APS he was an architect over there that was actually taking um, he was rewiring and reconfiguring um, APS to basically handle um, the problems that this was causing because what was going on was there was actually surges occurring that would actually cause um, a disruption to occur whenever they had too much energy it was coming back onto the grid and not only that but they also had a problem with distribution throughout the rest of the grid so what typically happened is APS had a one-way flow system so what that means is it would flow from you know the generation places whether or not that's Hoover Dam or Salt River Project um, you know in the in the flow of energy through there through geo or thermal or whatever and it would actually flow outwards from there to the consumers. Well, um, they hadn't planned when they initially put these things in place and everything to actually uh, consume more energy than they than, or to to get more energy from the customers than the, the customers were actually taking. They had never considered this. They always thought for some reason that, uh, I mean, it's pretty obvious, you know, you go back way back in the day, you know, and you you look at these things and you say, hey, you know, we're going to have customers that's going to have a need for energy, you know, but <clears throat> never did they really consider that there could be a need to redistribute energy. Um, and not only that, but uh, the idea that customers themselves could generate energy was unheard of. You know, why? I mean, customers are always going to be consumers, right? Eh, that's not necessarily the case in a lot of cases, particularly nowadays where houses are are regularly, especially in Arizona and sunnier places and everything, going uh, going off the grid, you know, or, you know, they're selling energy back to uh, back to APS and SRP and everything, and they're basically, you know, making a little money off of it, and APS and SRP actually make some money off the re redistribution of it. So it's kind of interesting how it all works and everything. So, in any case, I had a company um, over in San Francisco that um, was one of these larger companies. And um, a few years ago, I ended up um, discussing uh, with my compatriots, you know, the people that I was working with over at the NSA and everything, um, the idea and concept. I presented the idea and concept for a, a robot. And uh, it was leveraged primarily for reconnaissance. Now, I had seen the movie um, Runaway with Gene Simmons way back in the day with this idea that a, a robot can actually go and, and crawl along walls and that kind of stuff. And uh, I had mentioned it in a podcast a couple days ago and everything where... Um, 
I ended up, um, you know, more or less, you know, had this, had the idea of, not just the idea of how to actually take and create something like that, but I actually had a supply chain in order to be able to obtain this, uh, obtain the real world products that can actually make what it, what was considered the impossible robot possible. You know, a robot that can quite literally crawl on walls, you know, can quite literally go into the nooks and crannies. And you, if you scaled the thing small enough, you can actually have it go and basically go anywhere that you wanted to. Um, and, you know, there's other possibilities for scale as well. So I I had learned um, learned the other day that there was a company in San Francisco that had taken this idea and... Um, they more or less ran with it. And what they ended up doing uh, was they actually built something um, that was a battle-hardened um, spider robot. Now, I found out about this, and uh, fortunately with San Francisco, and I have some tight control from a hacking perspective and everything for, you know, for getting into a lot of facilities and everything in San Francisco and the Silicon Valley area and everything. So, what I ended up doing was uh, I ended up working... Um, with some of my guys and everything over there to more or less reacquire my intellectual property, let's put it that way. And uh, I ended up um, obtaining my, my battle robot. Now, the reason I mentioned the, uh, the things, you know, about the localized power type stuff and everything was in a lot of cases, these, these agencies and, and entities that are actually working with military and also um, foreign governments and everything don't have a tendency to play well with local intelligence agencies or with the domestically based intel intelligence agencies. They tend to be in it for profit, not profits largely driven by military demands and also demands of foreign, foreign governments for the most part. You know, and uh, when it comes down to working with intelligence agents and that kind of stuff, I mean, they get an idea at that point, they run with it, and they're interested in profit, not, not necessarily returning that profit back to the person that uh, ended up coming up with these ideas and concepts to begin with. So, um, I'm tired of it, you know, plain and simple. So, I ended up uh, working with my guys and ended up coming up with, up with a uh, reappropriation plan. Now, I knew, I had heard from the inside that they ended up... Um, that they ended up building a robot based on the prototypes that I actually created. So I created some original blueprints um, about probably, um, I'd go so far to say back in 2005, 2006, um, they had gotten wind of the vendors. They had actually gotten an illicit list from sources I don't know of yet. <coughs> and this is something I'm still trying to work out and everything. They ended up getting an illicit list of uh, people that, that had actually sold this, sold them this information and everything. Um, it had to be analysts, uh, probably new guys that were listening to my conversations or something like that, um, forwarding the information to them. So, in any case, they knew damn well who it came from. They knew damn well... Um, you know, that uh, I was the one that actually invented these ideas and concepts and everything. So, at this point, um, the way I looked at it was, you know, clearly they're focused on military goals. Clearly they're focused on not necessarily helping me, you know, and not only that, but with, the, with their ambitions and everything. The way I look at it is, that's not what I intended my stuff to be used for. You know, so not only have they have they appropriated something in a way that uh, that that refuses to, you know, 
basically pay homage to me. Um, but it also, it, it's being used in a, in a way that I fully and wholeheartedly disagree with. So, two, two major problems um, with the facility. Now, the facility is called Titus. That's the name of the company. Um, T-I-D-I-S. And uh, they're based out of San Francisco in the Silicon Valley area. They've got a facility that's um, right along the uh, coast of um, the interior coast. Um, I don't know what the uh, what the coast's name is and everything, but um, it's it's on. Um, I think it's San Marin is uh, the San, San Marin coast, and um, I ended up uh, at that point uh, discovering locating their facility. Uh, it was one of those ones that uh, it was hidden in plain sight. Um, it's not on local maps. It's not on Google Maps. It's not on Chrome. It's not on any of those, um, but you have to do recon on foot and everything, and uh, that's where I ended up locating the place. And the funny thing is, they've scrubbed all the data. You know, they've abso absolutely scrubbed all digital uh, forensic information, or uh, typically all, all, all normal channel, digital forensic information and everything. So if you're actually trying to locate this facility, leveraging any online faculties and everything through normal channels, you're not going to be able to find it. So, you know, I ended up uh, having my guys do recon on the place, and they ended up going out there, and they, you know, just, you know, they said, yeah, the facility's huge. It's, you know, they estimated uh, three to 5,000 people that were worked there at, uh, from a brief perspective. Um, they had indicated that uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of foreign diplomats were coming into and out of the place on a regular basis and everything. And they had, um, they had suspected that this was the location that, uh, that actually housed the prototypes for the robot that was being built. So I kind of expected, you know, to come in there and walk out with this, um, basically a two foot, uh, a two foot, you know, wide robot and everything. So, but, uh, the problem was getting in. It's a highly secure facility, um, just hugely secure. It's got, um... Basically, it's about, I would estimate, per every 30 to 40 employees, um, maybe one security guard. And that's a huge, huge security force that's actually employed there. You know, so you keep this in mind. I mean, we're talking for, for you know, for 5,000 employees, you know, we're talking 120 to 150 security guards that are actually in this facility and everything. Um, that's active that, that we can see, you know, so that's not talking about the ghosted ones, the ones that, uh, our planes closed are not making themselves obvious and everything. So cracking their channels was pretty easy. Um, we've got RSA slicers, things that'll actually, uh, go through RSA level encryption on any device that, uh, that was necessary. We've had that in place since basically Obama, you know, where he loves his Blackberry and everything. And, we ended up um, slicing through his BlackBerry pretty quickly to basically monitor all communication for him. But um, yeah, for for this place, um, they were using 2048 um, RSA encryption for, you know, basically military grade um, encryption and everything for the communications. And we sliced through that pretty quick, and we found out that they had probably about two dozen ghosts. Um, people that are actually in planes clothes that appear to actually be um, under normal employment and everything. They're just basically there for redundant security and everything to make sure everything goes well. 
So um, now, so we ended up uh, once we were, we scoped out the security. Um, it took us a couple of weeks to actually scope out security to get a good idea. We had to get a list of uh, one of the things I find essential whenever I go into a facility like this is making damn sure that I get a list of all the names of every security person that's on staff. I try to obtain a list of all employees. You know, um, just just for redundancy take, you know, sake, and also to see if there's any ghosts that are unlisted. You know, but the most important thing for me is knowing every security guard that's on detail at every time and knowing their schedules as well. I don't want any surprises. Hate surprises when it comes down to this. And for me, the loss of life sucks. Happens on occasion and everything, but when it comes down to it, I like to make sure that uh, that nobody's <laughs> nobody's gonna die because of the shit that I that I feel that I'm doing that I feel is right. So in any case, um, so that's uh, that's you know over the course of a couple of weeks, my guys had ended up going through and. They ended up obtaining a complete list of, of basically everybody that was actually there, and um, their hours and who they worked for. Uh, we had two different security agencies. Umini was one of them, and uh, the other one is an unnamed source that uh, I'm going to not uh, release on these channels. But um, the the goal, you know, for me was to get into the facility. Um, to erase all, all tracks, all information that was associated with this project. Um, I want my ideas back. Uh, I want my information, the blueprints that I provided, not only that, but also anything they've, they've done that's a derivative of this and everything is completely erased off of all records that they have. You know, so that was the primary thing, was get in, erase all digital trails of it, and then obtain this information, and also obtain all references to it. And we had obtained all references to it digitally through email channels, and we had been doing this reconnaissance for nearly three months and everything to to make sure that uh, we were in the right location and everything, you know, for doing basically two primary tasks that we had. You know, so the first one was going through and, and deleting all backups um, off of the local server and, uh, you know, on the on-site server. And they also had an off-site storage facility for, you know, for some of the, their older-term backups and everything. They've been working on this project nearly seven years. And um, the other thing that uh, was absolutely necessary for me was to, A, destroy all physical hardware literally mutilate it and take away they had one prototype that we had actually seen and take away that prototype now my guys didn't tell me quite what we were getting into you know when we ended up going through this you know they had said yes they had located the information for the prototype but they just didn't tell me what what we were actually getting I, I'm again thinking we're gonna get in and uh, we're gonna walk away you know I'm gonna have one of these guys you know they're gonna have firmly tucked in one of their arms you know this uh, little two foot by two foot robot that I could do some playing around with at home you know um, I I hadn't looked at their blueprints um, I had just gotten, you know, secondhand, you know, word about all the stuff and everything, you know, and, and on the day of the mission, which was uh, the day before yesterday, um, at this point, we were all set up, and we had all the drones in place, we had, what, um, one, two, 
three, four. So it was a nighttime mission, and we had seven drones in place um, all around the facility, and uh, each one was in a sta stationary position. I wanted to have complete view from all around it and everything. And uh, we, we only had to be at one end of the facility, but I wanted to have complete control of the entire facility uh, from every perspective and everything. I wanted to know where all security guards were at all times. You know, and, and here's for me what's really important. Um, if you're a security guard, you know, for me, your life shouldn't have to be endangered by your job. Now, sloppy people, in my opinion, sloppy intelligence people, um, have a tendency to basically go through and, you know, they're, they kind of like go through and they shoot first and ask questions later. You know, they'll get in and they'll take out people, but, you know, and just to get their goal. And their goal could be something as simple as just obtaining one simple manila folder with a couple pictures on it. Sure, they could be incriminating pictures and everything, you know, but... What, what in your right mind leads you to believe that you have the right to go through and take one, two, seven, twelve people's lives in order to obtain those pictures? You know, um, and I've seen this time and time again. That's actually what pissed me off about my former employer, too. Enemy of the State, if you've ever seen the movie. It's based on real events. You know, most people don't know that. The shit that happened in Will Smith and Enemy of the State is absolutely real. You know, so for me, I'm a different kind of intelligence guy. You know, when it comes down to it, I care about people. I will take my time, you know, to get into a place. I want to understand the facility. I want to understand the people that work there. I want to know who the bad guys are. I want to know who the good guys are. And, and, and not only that, but when it comes down to the bad versus the good guys, I'm not going to listen to what people are telling me. You know, when uh, I'm going to make the judgment myself based on all the information I get. You know, and, and here's where it's really important. I mean, it, this is what I'm trying to say is, you know, when it comes down to it, um, if somebody is going to feed me some information or everything, I will do fact-checking on it. I will do some checks on them on that information myself from various different perspectives and everything. You know, I'm not going to just accept one thing that's told me by one source. I'm going to check my sources. And it's not that I distrust you and, and that I distrust people inherently. It's just that the information for me, you know, and the decisions I make... It's a reflection of my morals, of my values, of my, um, my, you know, the way that the world reflects back at me. You know, so if I have somebody killed, or if I kill somebody myself, you know, which I've done many, many times before, if I have to do that, I couldn't be a bad person in my mind. Now, societally... You know, societies might have a different opinion. I don't care. You know, and it's not that I don't respect society's perspective. It's just like I'm, I'm in this game called life and everything because I enjoy it. You know, and because the decisions I'm going to make aren't necessarily going to be the same moral and ethical decisions other people make. The way that I perceive the world, the way that I, I'm, I'm shown the world, you know, the way that I see it and the way that I experience it, I know, factually, 
that I receive a lot of different information in different ways that, that most people simply aren't capable of comprehending and don't want to. I respect that. And I also respect the fact that there's not going to be mutual respect towards the decisions I make. And to some degree, there's going to be a little animosity based on, that, on those decisions as well. I know. I lost an entire set of friends because of the ethical decisions I made and because of the fact that I hadn't told them about who I was and what I did. And what I do. So, in this case here, you know, we had um, altogether, like I said, there's about uh, 143 at the time of us doing this, regularly employed security people that were on staff. Um, at, they have night shift uh, altogether, but they run a Spartan crew and everything. They, most of it's for quality assurance testing and that kind of stuff. Um, few people that like working late nights and everything. So altogether, we had estimated about 400 people being in the building altogether. Most of these people aren't going to pay much attention. You know, um, 5,000 people in a general sense, you know, you're not going to be able to tell who's there and who's not. So my first and primary goal, you know, was to prevent the, the loss of life. Now, we carry anesthetics. My, my crew does. Um quick-acting anesthetics that basically takes somebody out within a couple of seconds. Uh, so, in, in a general sense, they'll wake up two hours later with <laughs> a little bit of a headache, you know, but the fact of the matter is they're, they're not going to die, you know. I make it a fact to basically care about the people that, uh, you know, even if I don't necessarily like the people. Now, during, during, this, uh, during this operation, um, there was, like I said, the primary thing that I was trying to achieve with this operation was going through and eliminating all traces of any information whatsoever from the servers. Now, clearly, this was a simultaneous operation. Not only that, but all physical traces of information as well, whether or not those blueprints or prototypes or anything else. Um, I did want to have a prize, you know, taken away from this. I mean, overall, I like the idea of seeing what I had thought of being brought into fruition and everything, you know. But I didn't want them to have the leftover stuff, you know, to be able to copy what I, what I had actually put in place. And let's put this into a different perspective. You know, Skynet, you know, sends back his, uh, you know, robots back in time and everything. All of a sudden, you know, these Terminator robots, you know, Skynet then tries to send things to erase the evidence. Most people construe that uh, Skynet was trying to, you know, go back in time to basically prevent, uh, or to keep, you know, keep the war going. No! No, Skynet's sending back robots to prevent the discovery of itself. I mean, that's it. Plain and simple. Me, I don't give a shit. You can, you, you know who I am, and I'm going to I'm gonna keep on talking about who I am. I'm Q. You know, I am mess with time. I do it for fun. You know, um, I mess across boundaries, across, you know, space and time boundaries, and not only that, but I also have a group of hackers that's working for me in pretty much every nation in this world. We're called anonymous. Now... In any case, these hackers, um, very, very, very eclectic crew and everything. Yeah, sure, I like referring to them as, 
you know, a game, Watch Dogs, right? But let's be clear. This isn't a game. Um, this is real. I mean, you know, I may, I call it a game to make it easier for, you know, for typically your little noodles, you know, to understand. Most people aren't going to understand. I'm not trying to be insulting with that. I'm just trying to say, hey, you know, but here's the thing. The second thing and primary goal to achieve was recovery of this, uh, this robot. So, my guys, like I, I said, we had a, I had a crew of six people that was handling this. You know, I try to keep a Spartan crew and everything. Everybody's good at what they do. Um, one of them's an old-time hacker, a guy who's been around since the 70s. Another one that, uh, he likes blowing shit up. Another one that, uh, she's good at what she does, and kind of like a command freak dictator. She likes to think that she's the leader. But, um, I don't know. Her uh, brother was killed. What was it? Slovakia? Slovenia? Something like that. And, uh, she doesn't necessarily like some of the shit, the corporate shit that goes on here. And that's how she found me. She found me, too. That was the interesting thing. While I was touring Europe way back when. So... In any case, um, I mean, there's a couple others that we have that, uh, um, but in this case here, you know, the whole goal was to get her out. Marcus, he's one of my chief guys. He's a uh, newer guy that I have working for me, too. And uh, he's the one that uh, lets me leverage some technology to manipulate him directly. So... I don't know if you're familiar with some of the research that was done over at MIT about uh, the body over uh, the control of somebody's physical body. Leveraging devices are actually implanted into the back of their head and also on the cerebral, uh, basically on the on the brain and everything. But uh, in much the same way an EEG works, it actually overrides somebody's physical responses and everything. And, and Marcus, as a hacker, wanted to understand how other hackers think, which is why he lets me do this. So... It was really an interesting combination, the two of us, being able to work together and everything. Very few would let me do something like what I do with him, but he also understands, you know, how things work and everything. So in any case, um, the other primary thing that, uh, that I was interested in doing was basically making it so where they couldn't develop any of these things, you know, based on derivative technologies or anything like that. So, I effectively, I wanted to shut this plant down. You know, that was my my primary goal, was just to basically not just disable their manufacturing facilities, but to completely incapacitate them for at least the next couple of years, and also make it so where they can't develop any of the technology that, uh, that they've leveraged based on the blueprints that I've provided and everything. So, that was key goal number one. Uh, you know, the other things were pretty obvious. So anyways, we had seven drones, you know, circling the place and everything. And here was the, the kicker, the fun part of it. We have a guy, Wrench, is the guy's name. And, uh, he ended up, um, developing this R2-D2-like robot based on, based on Titus's, uh, um, I'm sorry, Titus. I don't know why I called them Titus. I always called them Titus. Um... Titus's technology that uh, is used in a corporate environment and everything, and what they have is they've got a um, a small drone that they have built for 
secret and top secret facilities and everything that that more or less is is a reporting mechanism so in a place that's not supposed to have movement or anything like that uh, what it does is it actually maps out an area and it's about the size it's about four foot tall and uh, it's kind of, I mean, it's like an upright R2-D2. It uh, will go around and, and scout out a facility and, you know, just report uh, on a regular basis, you know, um, anything that, uh, that, that it sees as being unusual. And you can actually replace non-moving things with this thing. And the cool thing is one security guard can actually control several of these remotely. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it can actually help with reduction of security staff uh, within a uh, facility and everything, and also make it so we're secured areas that aren't supposed to have humans at all on a regular basis and everything, you know, uh, especially like clean rooms and that kind of stuff, which are quite common in some of these Silicon Valley places. Um, can make it so security doesn't have to go in. You can have a robot that's basically manning the place and, and making sure nobody goes in. Now, Titus is actually responsible for creating this. Now, Titus um, doesn't have um, on board any of the stuff, uh, and they have not, not promoted that they actually have armaments for these uh, robots. And uh, naturally, they've, you know, that's one thing that we discovered was they were arming these robots. So many of us were sitting there going, okay, you know, Titus is taking some of this, this robotic stuff and they're, they're arming them, you know, didn't, did, did these people just not watch Terminator? I mean, are they really, you know, that <laughs> naive? You know, I mean, you've got something that's centrally commandable, you know, through one security guard facility where, you know, the, there could be, you know, 15, 20 of these things, if not more. They're all controlled through one computer, and all it takes is one programmer to create a program that, that can actually control and maybe hack all these, and boom. You've got the start of a Terminator War. You know, all, all done through one person. Maybe an evil version of me. So, in any, in any case, I'm not evil. At least I'd like to think I'm not. Um... So, that was actually one of the bigger concerns, was here they were, they had obtained technology, they had already demonstrated that they're starting to arm these robots, and they're actually courting the U.S. government, which actually refused them, and also courting foreign governments, you know, to basically take these things that were, they were, they were claiming to be leveraged for, for crowd suppression all the way to, um, <sighs> Warfare, you know, I mean, imagine going to Iraq and everything, and all of a sudden, you know, our soldiers are confronted with Terminators. Well, that's going to work well. Not. So, in any case, that was a concern, you know, was that uh, that these robots, that these things that the that Tatos is building, um, leveraging any and all technologies that could, you know, so that was our goal, was kind of like shut down one of their primary development, research and development facilities that's actually doing some of this shit. So, anyways, that's why I kind of commissioned this, um, this operation and everything. It's not because I'm afraid of Terminators, it's just I want a sex robot, not a, not a war robot. So, in any case, I know, what's the difference? Yeah, you'd see if you actually had sex. So... Long story short, uh, we ended up uh, getting in, and I'm monitoring this whole thing and guiding Marcus along, and uh, we're going through the facility, and 
when Marcus got into view of the uh, of the robot, I mean it. Oh, hold on. I'm going to take a take a back step here. Going back to this R2D2 robot, what we had to do in order to get into the facility was we had to create a couple diversions without actually making it seem like it was a break-in. You know, the the whole goal was smoke and mirrors. We were interested in in causing no loss of life and limb. So what we ended up doing was we took one of these things, um, we piloted it directly into the row of capacitors in their power facility, and uh, guess what happens when you have something that's manned with basically a small but very, very, very powerful EMP device that actually goes off in the middle of your power supply? Now, see, that's the, that's the major problem with having a, you know, your own localized power facilities. If the primary power supply actually fall, falters, you fall to the backup, which is at your localized power facilities. Well, typically all power is routed through that one location. And if that receives a strike, kaboom the entire thing is out. Not only do they not have access, you know, not only do you not have access to local power, but your localized power supplies, your generators and and also your capacitors are completely gone. You know, uh, sure, you could have taken a bomb, you know, and done the same thing and everything right in that place, you know, but at that point you're going to get the National Guard and every fucking everybody else out there at the same time. Yeah, I wasn't interested in that. I was just interested in the blackout. Like I said, no loss of life. That was my goal. You know, so how can you have no loss of life and everything? <laughs> you create a blackout situation. You know, my guys are all armed with night vision, infrared, you know, thermal, all this other stuff and everything. And uh, while I know some of their crew certainly has the same same stuff, they are, after all, a military-based organization and everything, they're not going to be ready for us. You know, especially with... Uh, you know, we're ghosts. We're, if you've seen Splinter Cell and Tom Clancy and that kind of stuff, most of the guys that I have working for me are, are capable of deploying the same shit that he can and even better. So, you know, the difference is my guys are, are skilled with drones, you know, and and computers just as much as they're skilled with physical, uh, you know, the physical stuff as well. So, in any case, um, yeah, we ended up uh, wandering through the facility, um, took out probably about two dozen guards, lever leveraging, uh, you know, the anesthetics and everything, and, uh, you know, make it a fact to always pull the bodies, you know, to a place that uh, they're not going to be found for an hour or so and everything, and, you know, the only thing that we have to really concern ourselves with therm is thermal detection of these people that are laying down and everything, but that's highly unlikely in a situation like this. You know, they're more concerned about, uh, you know, people that are coming in, and uh, at that point, you know, have a have a couple of our guys that are actually going through the facility and, you know, can't come in with the fire department trying to actually figure out the problem and everything, and you're not going to get into the secure areas with, as a uh, fire department personnel, but... You know, it'll get you far enough along that uh, once you actually get into clothes that are a little bit more appropriate for the area, it's a little bit easier. So anyways, we ended up, um, I had Marcus uh, going out and everybody else took care of other parts of the facility, making sure the place was locked down and we had full control of it. And then uh, Marcus sent Marcus in and, uh, you know, the coolest thing was hearing his voice. You know, when he ended up seeing the robot and when I saw the first images, I almost shit myself. 
So what they had done was they had taken it from an eight-legged creature that I had uh, I had envisioned, and they had made it, made it a six-legged six -legged creature. Now, this thing was fucking massive. Surprised the hell out of me. And not only that, but it was armed with these massive, massive... You know, like 50 cal... I don't know. I don't know my calibers for weapons. I don't... I'm not a weapons guy. Um, all I know is it was basically armor tank-piercing um, rounds, and it seemed to have a huge stack of them. Um, I will go so far to say this thing is as big as two cars stacked on top of each other. Um, probably weighed on the order of maybe 5,000 to 6,000 pounds. And it, it got around more agilely than I've ever seen anything of its size. And here's the kicker. It could walk on walls and walk on the fucking ceiling. So maybe 5,000 pounds is a vast overestimate and everything. Um, it was a concrete bunker that I was actually doing this in. And, uh, you know, that uh, we ended up hacking it. You know, so we very quickly ended up taking control of this thing and uh, piloted it out, out of there. And, um... Yeah, fortunately, we didn't have any resistance on the way out. All resistance was taken and everything, and uh, they had already known. You know, this is the funny thing. Mark is just like, do you believe this shit? And I'm just like, dude, you didn't tell me about this coming in? You know, you could have told me about this. He goes, no, I wanted to hear your surprise. You know, so he ended up having this, you know, this big mugshot and grin, you know, taking from all around this thing, you know, because basically they had this thing in a secured umbrella area that, uh, you know, they had sound detection in it, they had all kinds of, you know, sensors and everything that we pretty quickly stripped away and everything. And, uh, yeah, once we ended up going through, um, we ended up taking the back way out. They have got, have a uh, training and demonstration facility. Um, it's all concrete and everything. And it's, uh, it's created intentionally to basically, you know, demonstrate its capabilities and everything. And um, as we ended up um, going through the facility and everything with Marcus following it very, very carefully, I might add, I'm, they have cars on display in this thing, and uh, I, I found out the hard way that's, that's how it walks on ceilings, you know, so I can actually have it walk on ceilings at that point. Um, I, I just, you know, my control, I ended up putting, pushing it to the left, and all of a sudden I noticed, holy shit, this thing's actually you know, embedded itself into the, uh, into the wall. Wait a second, I can actually climb this wall? You're shitting me. You know, on the walls, uh, it's basically, they've got a, probably about a 10-foot concrete wall, um, and then a 10-foot concrete, um, top roof to it, and then another 10-foot concrete wall surrounded by 10-foot, you know, or surrounded by, you know, a concrete roof as well. You know, so we're actually, uh, I'm going through and having to eliminate some of the security systems in there and everything. And uh, I'm doing it with the guns and everything, and I'm just like, oh, this is so fucking cool. You know, and uh, yeah, we should have been worried about security and everything, but they're over on the other side, and they had noise suppression and everything. So you got to keep in mind that they don't want the public to be aware of us, and this is why this thing had been soundproof like you wouldn't believe. So not only could you not hear it in the other research and development areas of the facility, but, you know, this entire thing was mostly underground. So... It was um pretty fucking cool, if I must say so myself. So altogether, this thing had a leg span of probably about 13, 13 to 15 feet, 
from one end to the other. Um, it had six legs altogether, has six legs altogether, and uh, they had a, um, a pretty nice boat that was waiting off to the side and everything. So, yeah, 5,000 pounds is probably a bit much. It probably was dramatically lighter than that. I mean, its size made it seem like it was that much, but uh, come to think of it, it didn't do that much damage when it ended up blocking on the car, so... I don't know, maybe 800 to 1,000 pounds is a, a more accurate estimate and everything. Um, I didn't try walking on walls or anything like that once I got out of the facility. We just uh, guided it to the boat and uh, at that point ended up taking it off. So, anyways, um, the cool thing is that's actually in my arsenal now. So, we are, you know, we're, we're ramping up. And, um,. You know, for me, this isn't, uh, it's not war, it's not wartime operations or anything like that. It's more or less the acquisition of, uh, things that, I mean, for me, I love the idea of piloting this thing around, putting a seat on top of it, you know, and being able to, I mean, not like Dr. Doom or anything like that, but just basically piloting the thing around. You know, this is like the ultimate, you know, kid's toy. Instead of driving a car, I get to drive around a, a big, huge uh, spider and everything, you know? So, anyways, um, I thought it was pretty cool. So, anyways, very successful mission. Nobody died. Um, yeah, we, we probably tore up at least five different cars that were slated for being torn up, by the way, uh, in this facility and everything. And, uh... We destroyed pretty much every every capability that they had. Now they also have facilities over in Chicago, and uh, we also had um, facilities that uh, we had to concern ourselves with over in over in DC. And the the operation was a simultaneous operation. So at the same time, we were literally working by the same clock and everything for infiltration and destruction. Um, we had two guys that were taking care of the shit over in D.C. and uh, four people that were uh, taking care of things over in uh, Chicago. So, it probably one of the most seamless operations that I've had yet. And it was nice, I mean, just being able to get back this technology and everything that I myself, I know I deserve, you know. And uh, also, you know, giving these guys a big, huge kudos. M Marcus did most of the work himself. Um... I just, I, I worked on a passive mode this time, so rather than directing him directly, I ended up basically saying, you know, more or less giving him cues, go here, go here, go do this, go do that, and everything. So, in any case, um, very happy with my group, and uh, I want to extend a, a huge thank you, you know, for this treat, you know, out to you. And, um, we don't need to be like the others, and I, I still do now and always will love the idea of anonymous. Nobody has to know. You know eh, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to get sappy on you. Thank you, though. That's all I can say. Anyways, I'm signing out. Thank you for listening. And thank you again for a wonderful, wonderful operation. Oh, one last thing. Bloom. Um, we... Uh, that's a, a separate note altogether. We need to be more careful. That, um, that didn't work like it was supposed to. And, um...
we didn't have enough information. That was part of the problem with that. Now, I'm I'm hoping that you guys will start paying attention a little bit more to the quality of the facilities that we're going to, you know, to what they do. I think it's a hugely, hugely important that we understand the landscape of these places and why they're doing what they're doing. And uh, in Bloom, um, I'm not convinced, you know, about uh, what we had to do there. Not convinced at all. And the righteousness of that operation, just... Um, To some degree, it feels like we're calling the the the, pot, the kettle black, the pot calling the kettle black. You know, so in a lot of cases, you know, some of them, some of the information that I've seen going through the channels has been more or less saying, okay, I'm I'm going to explain things a little bit fuller here. Um, we also had another operation just recently uh, to break in the corporate facilities of of another company called Bloom. And uh, Bloom, um, much like uh, Titus, um, works in a different way. They don't do any military work or anything like that, but they do uh, organization aggregation of, uh, of marketing information, and they leverage social networks and ties to companies like Invite and stuff like that in order to actually acquire information, customer information, be able, being able to target individual people and... Uh, there's some people that uh, are within my group and everything that have a difficult time with the breaking of privacy and respect of privacy. Now, I myself, I'm not necessarily on the same side as that. Um, I see I see what we do, you know, in a lot of cases, as uh, not necessarily being private either. Um, sure, we, we use some misinformation or everything in order to be able to get the stuff out, but here's part of the problem. Um, when we refer to them in the same sense that we can also refer to ourselves as and paint that negatively, we really, really, really need to do a self-check about our own, our own morals and ethics. Now, the takeaway for me, for Bloom, it wasn't a total disaster, um, but what we, we, what we did get was a pretty cool overview of a wonderfully self-aware um, company from an image perspective and everything and how important image means to the public altogether and uh, not only that but also to their own employees it's hugely important and I hope through the images that I gathered with the drones and everything that uh, that you can actually see that uh, that their facilities and everything you know were definitely pretty top-notch I mean it's the envy of any software engineer or anybody that's actually interested in a normal life and everything, you know, to work at a facility like that. It's beautiful, you know. Um, the entrance and everything is just a, it's a commune. It's, you know, just a place that you can go to relax and everything. And while it may not necessarily have the heavy metal, um, you know, vibe and everything to it, or some of our places do, um, itself, it's also, it's just a different feel. You know, it's it's something that's a little bit calmer, you know, and I think to some degree we need to rethink some of our our presences, you know, to basically make them a little bit less heavy metal, a little less Judas Priest, and a little bit more, I hate to say this, um, Kenny J. <laughs> you know, a place that you can actually go in and just say, hey, you know, yeah, I'm a hacker, I'm a hard-ass hacker, 
You know, it doesn't mean I have to listen to Pantera all the fucking time and, you know, System of the Down and that kind of stuff. You know, we're also going to listen to, you know, some, t- some Tchaikovsky, you know, and th- that kind of stuff on occasion, too. There's different breeds, that's what I'm trying to say. So, um, with that said, um, Bloom, while we did take down, you know, the A. Numeruno guy, and, uh, probably rightfully so, because the guy was an absolute dick... We gotta be careful about not becoming that ourselves. So I'm happy with the success. Don't get me wrong, you know, with taking down the CEO. But what I'm not happy with is the sustainability of seeing that CEO replaced by somebody that does exactly what he does. Because we didn't send a message to the company. We didn't we don't have a firm message that doesn't sound if anything hypocritical. So in any case, I think we gotta work on solidarity a little bit. Hate that word. It's so communist feely and everything, but in this case it's entirely accurate. We need to make sure that we retain our appeal across a wider spectrum of people and everything. And not only that, but how many guards did we lose on this one? I counted four. It's just not acceptable to me. So, in any case, we can do better. Okay, with that said, I think nobody's listening, which is good enough. So, oh, final note. I watched Orville tonight with my mom and dad. It was pretty damn good. It was really cool. If you're not watching Orville, watch it. It's so wonderful. It's just such a interesting, unique blend of a show and everything. And, uh, as usual, thank you for listening, and, um... Find, accelerate the uh, creation of uh, number three. Um, here's some things I want to say on it. More positive options. From my perspective and everything, I don't want to only be given the options to um, maim or stun you know, particularly when it comes down to personnel. Um, I want to be able to, you know, for each one, there's plenty of jokes you can do on people, plenty of things that you can do to divert attention. Diverting attention is so critical to to our role, particularly if we're interested in doing stealth. You know, all it takes is five seconds to get somebody to actually point in a, in a, in a different direction than the way that you are. And... All that's all it takes is five seconds at the perfect time, and all of a sudden, boom, you're in with the anesthetic and you're able to take them out, you know, for the next two hours. You know, there's no reason, no reason whatsoever to actually have to take them out permanently. None. Zero zilch. Don't even try to, you know, if we have to keep on resorting to these methods and everything, um, in my opinion, we just, just need to come up with better tools in order to basically make it so where we can get in um, 
divert and point attention in different directions and everything and do it in a more subversive way. Now now that we've got the robot, we can actually take that, reverse engineer some of it, um, take the original blueprints and everything, and miniaturize this. And we can actually use this to, for, you know, for devices that can actually create sounds. You remember the beeper that I created, you know, a few, a few years back and everything? The annoying fucker is Annoyatron or something like that, that, uh, I think uh, what we ended up marketing on uh, ThinkGeek or something like that. You know, something like that could be marvelous for a mobile device that we actually implant on a spider that is no bigger than half an inch. You know, we can actually put something like that and have them scurry to precise locations. You know, in that way, when we need that 5 to 15 second window or something like that, we could put that sound device in a spider, crawl it into a vent, and all of a sudden, boom have it making noises up there, you know, and all of a sudden you've got a security guard that you're able to walk right past because they're they're busy trying to figure out why there's a radio coming from the damn, you know, from the damn vent. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? No, I mean, why is there this tiny little fucking noise that's coming from the vent? You know, meanwhile, here you are scooting by. That's all we need, just a couple seconds in some cases and everything like that, you know, or or at least to get them to turn in a different direction. That way you can actually come directly behind them and take advantage of, of that uh, that position and everything. So, in any case, um, wrench, I'm hoping you'll, uh, you'll jump on that one. And as far as the, uh, as far as number three is concerned, please, please, please provide a wider array of tools to leverage that allow me, you know, the capability to be able to guide things without actually using lethal uh, lethal force. I need more options from a non-lethal perspective. That's all I'm saying. You know, I know you got some people that like blowing things up. Got to find better ways to, you know, for that destructiveness and everything. You know, let, let's accelerate some of the virtual reality type stuff that we're doing. I'm, I'm planning on getting an Oculus once I get the donations in and everything. You know, I'll certainly do some development on that. But, you know, when it comes down to it, if you could just make sure that 3 comes out soon, and in addition to that, has a wider array of non-lethal, um, and also different drone options and things that are miniature that can actually run through facilities without being seen and detected. That would be fucking awesome. You know, non-lethal. Just keep that in mind. Non-lethal methods. I love my stealth. I mean, Assassin's Creed is just a wonderful example of how you can actually leverage stealth for the entire thing and everything. And the problem is, there's not enough options, you know, in in the current versions of things, you know, to allow me the capability to efficiently and effectively um, go through and use non-stealth options. Or use stealth options. And it gets boring. It gets tedious. You know, not only that, but it also gets to the point where Marcus is going to start remembering some of this shit, you know, that uh, when he um, when he dies... And that's just not, that's not fair to him. It'll drive him crazy. You know, I don't want to drive him crazy. So, in any case, thank you for listening.